the precipice this is the adventure for truth this is a time that we want to have uh, these conversations rooted in truth hope and love our guest today is courtney omega i've got my co-host brad willoughby with me here and courtney you and i just left city hall or the cobb county commissioners monthly meeting you and i that's where we met for the first time back in was it May? It was May. It was May. Yeah, top yeah. of May. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was there because, um, I don't know why I went, actually. You, I was supposed to I say, kinda went you said that you were spirit-led. You said, I didn't even, I didn't even know what I was going to talk about. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I love that. I, I showed that. up, and I heard there was an opportunity to have public comment, and your sister, she talked me into signing up. She's a powerhouse. She wants people She's to get up She's been that way her whole life, Yeah, she's, she said... Are you want to do public comment? I said, I don't know. She's like, come on, right here. Sign, sign up right here. So she signed me up for public comment. And then I had to figure out, what am I going to say to these county commissioners? And I have some strong feelings about the coronavirus. I've got some strong feelings about the election. As do I. And I, um, I shared some of those sentiments. But you had an incredible uh, message that day that prompted me to come up and kind of introduce myself to you afterwards. Um, and I hope maybe we can start with that story, what was it that you were sharing that day at the Cobb County Commissioner's meeting um, that maybe led me to come up and say hello to you afterwards? Well, absolutely. Thank you so much again for the opportunity just to share. Um, you know, evictions are, they're embarrassing. <laughs> let's just, let's just get that out of the way. They're embarrassing. They're humiliating. Um, but the reason why I felt compelled to speak is because um, I was just introduced to someone that I had actually um, contracted to perform on an event that I was helping to organize. And uh, she had faced and she was going through an eviction. She had um, come back from dropping her child off at school and uh, she told me that she needed on the day of International Day of Prayer, nonetheless, on May 6th, which is also my mother's birthday. Um, so I was holed up in my room. Uh, and uh, she, my son brought me the phone because I didn't have the phone. And she, he said, Mom, this lady said she's being evicted. And my kids know, my children both know, that when we see that E word, it like we, put, we go into a different action. We go into a different mode. Um, when someone's being evicted, we know someone needs immediate help. And uh, what I was sharing that day at the uh, commission meeting, the commissioner, the board of commission meeting, is my own story when I faced eviction. And that was the reason why I felt compelled to jump into action for this young lady so fast, because uh, it was the type of response I would have wanted when I was facing mine. For the first time ever, just as she was, I was faced with an eviction um, or facing an eviction, but also I was doing it as a an elected official. I was doing it being evicted. <laughs> while I was on the dais, so to speak. My first year 
as a council member for the Coconut Grove um, Council in Miami, Florida, where I proudly served as the youngest member of the council, um, I was facing an eviction uh, and effort that I had tried to mobilize my community behind with, with uh, that would have been getting my home declared a historical um, venue in the community uh, did not, you know, I wasn't successful in being able to accomplish that. Um, the landlord saw that for an opportunity to hurry up and try to get me out. And he, of course, was successful. Um, I fought it for, you know, a while. I did fight it for almost two years. But um, when you lose your home, you lose your home. And it's something that you never forget. And it's something that even though it was almost four years ago, it feels like it was yesterday. It is, um, it's, it was a nightmare situation to... Uh, and I had already started to put some items in storage. I literally was on the way back from storage when I was. we turned a corner and I saw my computer desk out on the front lawn. Um, and what I was sharing with the uh, commissioners that day, the esteemed members of the uh, elected panel that day, the dais, is that evictions haunt us and they don't care about, uh, you know, what status or class you're in. Um, this is not your typical eviction. You know, these are not, when we hear, when I used to hear people getting evicted, I always thought about people that were, you know, someone, you know, using drugs, just throwing their money away. I've never done a drug a day in my life. I don't even drink alcohol. You know, I, I have a horrible candle addiction. I, I'm looking at this one right now, you know, if, if, for if anything. You know, I love smell goods. Um, I, you know, perfume and, you know, like I said, candles don't miss me. These are where my addictions are. But um, we we have done something really horrible in this country of generalizing and we generalize to the point of detriment of a complete demographic. So when we look at the rates that of people evicted, black women are four times as likely to be evicted than any other demographic. And we look at the fact that of being four times as likely, more than half of the black women uh, that are evicted are the leaders, are the, um, the breadwinners of their families. So we're not just evicting Black women. We're evicting families. And we're not just evicting families. We are changing the makeup of a community because a lot of times, you know, these families don't make it back to continue to allow their children to go to school there. The children, if they're involved in any type of extracurricular programs, they're, they're, um, they lose that. They lose their friends. I was very fortunate. And I thank God for this, that... Um, you know, I, um, had a couple of, a couple of really reliable constituents, um, neighbors and one, a former, you know, colleague, uh, coworker rather, when I worked for the city of Miami, literally, um, convinced his partner, they owned a small apartment building in Overtown in Miami, Florida, and they allowed, myself and uh, my children to stay in a unit that was being refurbished until um, we organized enough money, uh, which took us about three months with the aid of Grove Aid, of course, but took us about three months to organize enough funds to be able to get a, a, a apartment back in the heart of the district that I was elected to serve. I mean, how profound is that, that, you know, I, I fought my way back to be able to continue to serve my community. But it's, you know, it's my family's legacy, so it's only right. My grandmother was a mayor. So, you know, I— Where, uh, where was she a mayor? She was, uh, she was the first elected African-American mayor of Daytona Beach, Florida, and the only female mayor they've ever had. Wow. Daytona Beach, Florida, yes. And had she lived throughout her second term. She never lost an election. She was a two-time commissioner, two-time mayor, Yvonne Scarlett Golden. Uh, has she lived throughout her second term because she did transition the first year of her second term? Um, she, has she lived throughout the complete second term? She would have been the oldest mayor in the United in the United States. So, so you cool. and your sister 
you come by it pretty honest being involved in your community or wanting to be oh absolutely a- active and both parents were social workers and my dad um is a US Air Force vet um he was a history teacher prior to becoming a social worker so we get it earnestly we get it earnestly and we get it hard i think monica my sister and i sister i'm the youngest um uh i'm the youngest of five but I think we took to it hardest because of the fact that we were just a little bit more aware of, and I, I'm actually, you know, I'm going to scratch that. Monica was more aware of the inner happenings of pol- politics. She always has been that way. And she kind of just convinced me to take a look at certain things. When I was in Coconut Grove, she came down and visited and she said, you know, Courtney, you should run for office here. You could win. And I was like, I don't want to run for office. You know, that's not for me. That's for you. That was for Nanny Nikki. That's what we called my grandmother. And she said, no, no, no. All you need is a base and you've got it. You know, you, you're a young mom, so you've got families. And she was like, I see how people talk to you. Like, you're social. You know, you can do it. And she stayed for a week. She wrote my campaign and I won. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> so do you think this this rental issue right now specifically today it's compounded because of the uh, pandemic stuff and then it's exposed the, and, and absolutely then, so explain to the listeners how it's been exposed during the coronavirus how these you know low income families are impacted so significantly because of the coronavirus and because of the government assistance. It seems like the government has been assisting, but now the assistance is drying up. Well, you know, a couple of things happened there. So it's it's very, it's layered as usually it is going to be with government. That's why in government, you know, we have our checks and balances, right? Because it's, 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 it's layered. It's not just, you know, one particular, it's not one particular component. It's an, a couple of different components. So it can be a little complex. So first of all, um, there was an, epidemic as far as evictions, as far as eviction crisis before the pandemic even happened. And it was a pandemic. It was a crisis on epic proportions that no one cared about, honestly, because it was only being black women were predominantly being affected. So this means that, you know, you don't really have to worry about uh, it being a soccer mom you know, depending on what, you know, community you're in, or you don't have to worry about it being um, someone that you might know or come into close contact with. Uh, There was a wonderful story. Um, And when I say wonderful, it's not because it was great news, but it was very well done in the New York uh, Times a few years ago. I want to say it was 2017. I want to say it was the first year of um, the year before I ran for council, but it was about teachers that were being evicted. So here, you know, these kids are going to school and, you know, New York has has its own issues as far as with the public schools and the charter schools and uh, private schools and and the war within the education system in regards to that. But here they were going to school and noticing that literally a few of their teachers, you know, because the running joke always is that teachers live out of the trunks of their cars, right? They have all of these goodies for kids. But what it was starting to be recognized was that no, teachers were literally living in cars, living in cars, but coming to teach your kids and not being able to get paid what they were um, so worth. Uh, And coming from Philadelphia, which I lived in for a decade, um, I call myself a Philadelphian, though they might not allow me to, but I do. But um, I can, and I was, I did teach when I was in Philadelphia, but uh, I had the beauty of having a, a husband, a lawyer husband. And so a lot of the brunt of, uh, housing and the need for that stability. Honestly, I just wasn't aware of until I got into council. But what the pandemic has done here is shined a magnifying glass on, and it's something that very interesting that you just said that, John, you know, it's not the low-income families that have caused the outcry. It's the fact that our middle class 
um, this struggling middle class, the working class, they call it, or the working poor has been uh, has has been mostly affected. Yeah, because, because they can't, <laughs> because their their jobs have been affected. Exactly. They can't. You can't go wait tables, or you, there's all these opportunities that are shut down. Exactly. So it wasn't the low income. The low income, they already know. <laughs> you know, it's the it's. I won't say it's a game, but it's routine. They know that in two years they're going to have to move. They know it's. They know they're not. They're probably not going to be able to get their leases renewed because they pay they paid their rent late a few times. They know that um, they're not going to be able to find somewhere else because they have an eviction on their record. So they know for a couple of months they're going to have to lay low and maybe stay with some family and friends. Or they know that, um, unfortunately, for a lot of our families, they have to uh, send their children off to stay with other people while they find something. And so, unfortunately the the low income families were already used to playing you know not playing the game but they knew the system of everything it is the struggling middle class and the working class that have been highly affected by this because this literally they they were already living paycheck to paycheck now there was no paycheck now there is no paycheck so in the but there is part, un- they get unemployment there's some there has been unemployment mm-hmm. Um, for some, but remember, for some, some people not, that were working under the table, exactly. Yeah. And if you were working under the table, literally with no work, you just don't have you don't have any money. Yeah. And so that's where that took away. So it wasn't it wasn't necessarily that um, it wasn't necessarily that they they are misusing once again funds. These are funds that they honestly have never gotten. I've never gotten any. Um, I de- I've never gotten a stimulus. I've never gotten the child credit, none of that. And so, um, by God, I'm here. But um, this is, but also something was very much But rent rates there are going well. up. There are. I mean, real estate, the real estate market is at an all-time high. It is, and, and people are beating out, you know, purchases with cash. My attention is, I see the government, our local government, spending money on all kinds of things. And then when I see families like Shasha's family yes. go through that, yeah. you kind of wonder like, man, we're spending how much money to educate people about this virus and this vaccine? I mean, it's it's millions. It's millions. Millions. Trillions. Yeah, of the dollars, trillions was, just was in this, the buyout. Just locally. Right, millions. Where right. that could help people with, you know, rental assistance or just help them not get evicted. Well, even with purchasing, I've never understood that, right? Because, and trust me, I'm, I'm grateful for it all. But when I was in arrears um, before, the uh, Catholic Church helped and they paid back the arrears. The next year, you know, I wasn't needing any help as far as with rent, but I went back to the Catholic Church and I said, um, and this was the local. This wasn't like, you know, I wasn't talking to the Pope or anything. So nobody, please, you know, <laughs> take this the wrong way. Courtney has connections, but they aren't, they don't go that high. But I went and talked to the gentleman and I said, hey, I found this house. And, um, uh, it, you know, I just need a little bit more to put down to actually do a deposit for the house. And he said, you know, we aren't in the, we aren't in the business of helping people become homeowners. <laughs> and he said that so like. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, what, what what, are you thinking? And I was just like, but you would rather, you know, he said, well, we want to do the most need. So the most need would be with finding people who are in arrears, helping you become a homeowner. That's like one person. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, that's one person. But, you know, I'm a single mom of two children. So, you know, and we know from statistics, representation matters. So if your parents or your grandparents were homeowners, then... By rule of thumb, that's going to encourage you to also what? Be a homeowner. So, but if you've seen mom or dad or grandma, you know, always just, you know, paying rent or, you know, section eight or what have you, that becomes normal to you. And so that's why I said, I said, well, you're not just affecting me. I said, this affects future generations. You know, I have a, you know, I have children. And he said, you know, you're smart. You'll figure something out. And I think that that's, I'm like, I, I know I'm smart. That's why I'm coming to you. Like, hey, you know, just last year you helped, you were able to literally in a day come up with, you know, a couple of thousand, all that. I need less than that now. I know. Just the, these, a lot of these nonprofits, they have a, a mission 
or a formula for their mission. And if 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 you don't fit that formula, I guess you don't you don't get any real assistance or or help. Um, but it stinks. These a lot of the the places that you would want the most kind of uh, grace and support mm. and love sometimes are uh, maybe they're just out of touch. And 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 it's understandable in, in some ways because they think about you know feeding the homeless. So th- these issues that you know a lot of black women go through, a lot of people just aren't aware of them. You know, they're not aware to the extent of, yeah. of, you know, unfortunately, some of some of the fathers or 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 men, rather than maybe be there for the provision or for the assistance, they're not, and you know, they're they've got other situations going on. So it does put a lot of lot of pressure and and challenge and difficulty on the the mother. Um, the the tension I have is it's sort of like when I think about with my 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 raising children. Yes. If I allow them to let to have their their, their dirty clothes on the floor or their wet <laughs> towel, if I continue to allow them to do that, well, they're going to continue to push it. Of course. And of push course. it. And that's what I kind of I'm I'm wonder about some of these landlords or some of these these these. Uh, how to 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 get someone in the rears? It's a form of like bondage. It, uh, just allowing them to get it is get, it's, get it's behind. Absolutely. It's like a big snowball that wait, it mounts on itself. It, so it and, and you, you can't begin get out of it. you begin to condition or 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 show it's okay. You you can catch me up, you know, later. Or it's well, no, that's not okay. You mm-hmm. know, we can, you know, we, but it, there's there are situations that I know where there is no contingency. You've got, you know, the bills go up and you, you miss rent. And next thing you know, when it rains, it pours, it can be a bad situation. But there is that tension for me that says, well, how, do, how does this, how do you stop the situation? How do you help people not get in the rears so far behind? But you said something very, very um, key there also, John. You said that it's bondage, it's slavery. It, that that's what it is. It's it's that's what it is, and you you are indebted to the landlord. So this is why some of you know residents wind up in very precarious situations. And again, I, I give thanks um, that I I have never, but uh, I have from working in various communities, not just you know Miami from when I served as the count as a council member, but I was a DCF worker. Um, I, in Miami as well, um, you know, I also, like I said, lived in Philadelphia for a decade. Um, I've seen women, unfortunately, you know, trade their bodies so that they wouldn't have to pay the next month rent. Mm -hmm. And it, it, and that, that horrifies me. You know, so this is also a reason why, like I said, it's important to me to show, you know, my children to be an example. Because, again, like you said, representation matters. Some of our men are not, and I say our, I mean, just some some black men, they are not providing. They're not in the home because of lack of representation. It may not be something that they saw or it might be, uh, you know, from... Like you said, people get other things going on and they can really be oblivious to what is needed. I cannot tell you how many times I have been told, no matter what type of situation I was going through, you're smart, you'll figure it out. I've been told that so many times. I'm just saying, you know, what would really help is, you know, what would really help is your support, (laughs) you know, but sometimes that is, people feel like that's the best that they can give. And this is what, I think this becomes a culture of a bit of passing the buck, you know, saying that, well, there's resources or there's always something that you can do to get yourself out of this situation. But what we do in that moment is we, we, we relieve ourselves of that responsibility and we leave it to some other type of system or program or entity to remedy it. 
Yeah, let's let's let maybe this would be a good opportunity to talk about Malcolm X. <laughs> Absolutely. Because he had strong feelings about this. Absolutely. And you invited me to a Malcolm X uh celebration. His day, birthday. His birthday. Yes. That you birthday organized. Yeah. And one um, of the organizers. Yes. One of the organizers. And I'm impressed with Malcolm X. The more I learn about him, the more I really appreciate his kind of thoughts about freedom and standing up for your rights. Absolutely. Um, he seemed to have a real problem with the way the government uh, treated black people. Well, you know, to whom um, much is given, much is required, yeah. you know, and I think that Malcolm X definitely uh, recognized that um, what to say absolute power corrupts absolutely. And, um, you know, he saw, he recognized that as well. I, I, I say, you know, I'm a self-proclaimed student of Malcolm X. Um, you know, my mother and father were, you know, very, you know, big fans and also teachers of Malcolm X. And um, uh, Malcolm X, uh, the autobiography is one of the standard pieces of reading in my um, literature. But, you know, I think that when we talk about Malcolm X, this is where... Um, this is where a lot of rubber meets the road when we can understand narrative control. Because for many years, you know, Malcolm X was vilified as being some type of hate monger, as being some type of, you know, extremist. Violent. Violent, terroristic. And like he said from his own, even um, <laughs> out of the words from his own mouth, that, uh, you know, he was such a horrible boxer. <laughs> you know, he couldn't fight. You know, he was great with words. He couldn't fight. Um, but um, he was really good with words. He was an orator. But... Um, it's something that uh, he he often has uh, just been a absolute champion of, as you mentioned, is just standing up for yourself and also recognize when you're being played by government. Um, he has a wonderful speech about the government called the ballot or the bullet. And so, of course, I, I wound up on the ballot. <laughs> but um, it was it's a it's a wonderful speech just about. Uh, the breakdown of the way our communities, African-American communities, are um, played against each other at the hands of uh, Democrats. And, um, you know, he often said, too, that he's for justice. It doesn't He's for truth no matter who tells it, and he's for justice. Ultimately, you know, no matter no matter uh, what 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 that consequence of it is, if that's justice and justice be served. And I think that where we in this generation uh, can learn the most from Malcolm X is from the conviction that to stand on that with conviction, with understanding and appreciating politics are a tool they are not the end all and be all. And I say that from someone who comes from a very politically um, active and aware family. One of the things I heard this morning at today's public comment section was um, just this idea of holding people accountable. Mm. Holding these, Absolutely. these people that have taken oaths yeah. to serve our community, to hold them better accountable. And that's what I'm excited about when I'm when I think about what you're doing with rental assistance mm -hmm. and um, kind of advocating for all these people that are being evicted and displaced, all these families is rallying people to express themselves. Yeah, and people need homes. And I just, I think that, I can't say that enough, John, Brad. I cannot say that enough. People need homes. You think about the, the bare necessities in life and what you need, okay? Your stability, Imagine growing up and every year you had to move. Every year. Um, and then you imagine that this, this standard or basic right is, is robbed from so many of us. And when you couple that with the so many of us, of, you know, our nation's citizens, citizens to this nation— when you couple that with the the this they are descendants of people that were made to work land and property with no compensation but now you can't even afford to 
pay for to stay on that same land. That's hypocrisy. It's preposterous. And it's it's incredibly unfortunate that we are in 2021, or I call it 2020, we won. But 2021, we are, as a nation, not appreciating this disparity that is happening in our community. Well, but it's, listen, for me, I look at it like Obama blew it. He had eight years to make a huge impact in your community. Right. I mean, he didn't do it. Well, you know what? I, I mean, there, there's a Obama. lot of opportunity that could have been made in, in terms of the improvement. It was blown before Obama, and well, Obama but, just was carrying yeah. going. So my thing is, is if we're if we're counting on the government, no, and that's what we're, we can't. We just you know we're wasting our time. But we they're, can, they're gonna they're not gonna change. It. They're not gonna change, and it stinks that they're not gonna change. I do think that they need to be held to greater account, and um, and I'd like to see the money get used much differently. have tension with some of these issues because like when you mentioned reparations it's an interesting topic because it's well wait a minute now is everyone like who qualifies and who doesn't it becomes these really big kind of like ideas in, I don't think it should in statements. And I, I know you yeah. don't I know you don't <laughs> yeah. um, it shouldn't it, it, because it didn't no one was checking for these things when we, you know we were oh no no listen I'm just wondering about like the man whose, you know, descendants or ancestors weren't enslaved. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we begin to kind of segment and qualify and how much assistance should this person get versus that person? You know, it's, a, it's a whole topic that I know you know a lot more about than I do, but I know that as it, as it comes up, I struggle with like, man, all right, we could try to get our heads around these difficult mm-hmm. solutions or topics. Um, but ultimately, I kind of wonder, well, is that even a a long-term solution? Does it create unity or does it create more division? And that's, I'm most interested in solutions that create unity and and transparency. Everything's just out in the open. It's real clear. One of the things that came up this morning, Brad, was uh, some of the people want to know, where is this money, you know, all that money that's in the fire fund? Yeah, it's, I don't know how much money is in that fund. It comes out of our property taxes, but we don't know how it's spent. We don't know what what they do with all that money. I think that's I think that's part of the awakening that's happening for a lot of people right now. And we talked about this earlier. Um, there's kind of this there's kind of this sense that there's this unlimited well of resources that the government can tap into whenever they want to. Right. So you talked about um, home ownership and those kind of things of and being in, enslaved to debtors and everything. Absolutely. Well, even people that own their homes don't own their homes because right. if they don't pay their property taxes, they, they get, get their the home, home taken, taken away, away from right. them. Correct. And so the system that's set up like that is is crazy to me. When I was a kid and um, I got a, my first car, my dad gave me a gas card. It was Gulf Oil back then. It's BP now. And I thought, wow, this is what a what a great thing. This is amazing. And so I would go to the gas station and I would get gas. And over time, I'd kind of look around and start getting a Coke or getting something to eat and getting other things because it, it really, honestly, it boiled down to it wasn't my money. And I got the gas car taken away from me after a while. But what's happened over time is that government entity has become this massive uh, this this kid with this massive appetite to just spend with no accountability whatsoever, and I think for a long time people have just kind of taken it and understood. Well, this is just what it is. But the waste that has gone on could help change people's lives if we would harness it and take it away from the wasteful things that keep getting it keeps getting spent on. You've got systems set up where if you get budgeted, say the fire fund gets two million dollars, whatever it is. And they don't spend that, then that money doesn't, their budget will get set lower the next year because they didn't spend that money. Or if they spend a million of it, they go, well, you did with a million of it last year. So we'll set it for a million this year or maybe 750. Yeah, a little less than a million. And so they're like, we're going to go spend this and we'll find a way to do that. And what we're doing is we're wasting so much on things that don't really matter and not helping people 
in their need. And I just think that one um, woman today, she talked about how there's no more trades taught in high school. That's exactly right. No, no, no one's learning any real life skills. Yeah. Well, and we talked about the middle class uh, when we talked about, you know, the, the middle class just being absolutely pushed either um, some that achieve might get up into the upper range, but most of them are Go getting fall. pushed they down. Fall. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And the government's doing that. Yeah. You know, we've, we've had, and I don't, I don't, if I would have known we were talking about this, I would have pulled up the chart, but there's a, there's a chart that shows through the presidencies how bad that gap has gotten. Oh yeah. And with, with uh, George W. Bush, it was terrible. It really exploded and you started to see this big separation. And then with Obama, it got worse. And with Trump, it actually started coming back massively because he believes in, and I think knowing as a contractor as a builder that he knows it's very important to have labor in that you kind have of to thing. have a, right you have to have that middle ground you have it's to it's true yeah it's true but as we do get away from those things with kids not knowing trades and those kind of things i mean i was in high school 30 years ago and we had wood shop uh we had a construction class we had auto shop that's we what she graphics. said today. the woman today um, yeah she was, she, was, she was a good speaker, too. But it taps into what God's created you to do. Not everybody is meant to be Find a computer programmer. Right. Not everybody's Find meant to be a doctor. Not everybody's meant to be whatever. But when you are aligned with your Heavenly Father's creation and His plan for you, it brings freedom to you. And it's more than just about, like, how much do you make? It's not about that. It's about your eternal worth and the value that you carry as a person and our society, unfortunately, has become so class-centered and oriented to we say are, who's what. That's capitalism. Yeah, what that's do you what do? That do. kind of thing, Absolutely. instead of what's in your soul. That's like what who are you? Do. Exactly. Those are some great points in regards to. Uh, I like the fact, for some reason, because I'm a very visually minded person. When I just see the government with this card going around and. And and actually, this is not so far fetched because I've seen it happen personally. Yeah, put it on the card. Yeah, put it on. Put the it card. on the card. Right. But I want to go back. I don't. I don't think capitalism is what does that to people. I think sin is what does that to people. Do you think that capitalism is um, capitalism promotes sin though? I think it does. Yeah. I think it, I think yeah. it can. But yeah. I think I think um, I think when we give ourselves over to those things, we do. I think that um, I think that one of the things that we struggle with societally is an orphan spirit which is the spirit that, and John, I've talked about this before, which basically says, because you have something, I don't have something. And there's a jealousy that comes out of that. And a lot of it honestly comes from father wounds, from a lack of relationship with a dad, um, a lack of a relationship with a a nuclear family, uh, those kind of things. And it exacerbates that spirit. And so when you have that and you've got a thing and you've got now on your phone, I can go look and see what my friends are doing, and I can see, oh, well, they all went on a trip together. They didn't ask me to go. What's wrong with me? These wounds grow, and they grow and grow. And when we act out of that, and then if you look at the whole system being run by orphans, basically, mm-hmm. that don't know who they are or whose they are, they how are they supposed to fix anything? And everybody's in need of healing. That's exactly right. right. Everybody's in need. But we're under a system that is not ruled from a kingdom heavenly position it's ruled from a bunch of orphans trying to fight things out and we're never going to get anywhere like that right and everybody's struggling to be the masters of the house that's right yeah instead of how can we work together it's how can i dominate you right how can i get you under my how can thumb? i take advantage exactly um which is again what goes back to how things are being how things are you know being proposed to being built that you know you always have to figure out some type of level of taking advantage yes. of right of another class or another demographic um, or just um, whoever feels uh, weaker. Yeah. Right. And I think it can, I think it can be anybody, you know, the, the, the line has been that it's, it's divided along race, but there's also gender issues. There are also things mm-hmm. where you see if there's anybody that can put you under their thumb, if you'll allow anybody to put you under their thumb, then they'll do it. A credit card company. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and you know it can what? be nameless and faceless. And we give Mike, we give authority to so much. To so much of we give we give our authority. But Malcolm to X lot. even said that he said that the most um, unprotected, disrespected person on the planet is the black woman. That was one of his. Said that in 19, 1962. What was his? I'm not a, a student of him. What was his solution for that kind of stuff? If if the black woman was that, was he a pro family person? A was very he, pro family. Yeah. And you know what's interesting about Malcolm X? He had all daughters. 
Yeah. Which is very similar to, you know, Obama, all daughters, you know, no sons. Um, and at the time of his assassination, his uh, wife was pregnant with uh, with twins. Mm. Yeah. His message would have been very good for, um, I think, the black community, but bad for all these government bureaucrats. And it still is. And I think that's why he and that's was why regarded. They, that's why they treated him like that. Yeah, he was so vilified. They, the last thing the authorities over us want is people feeling empowered. And for us to realize that we have the power. That's right. The power is within. That's right. That's the last. So they take him out. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. And why, why isn't his stuff more prominently that's exactly out why. today? You know, <laughs> that's exactly why. I've seen so many quotes, especially recently with mm-hmm. all the things that are going on. I'm just like, wow, this is so powerful. And, and it's so, so on point. Now. It's so on point right yeah. now. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, that was in, in his, it, it, speaking of which, uh, with Malcolm X and how his name still just, you know, uh, shocks are is still um, polarizes mm-hmm. people. People think black power. That's what but, they think. But imagine, well, that's what white people think. Imagine with them thinking black power does not mean like what Brad said. It doesn't mean that less power for you. Right. That, <laughs> it yeah. It just it means doesn't need to be said. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. That's that's so that's so funny. And um, but I was when we were. Uh, promoting Malcolm X Day, which is his birthday, May 19th. And we're promoting this to be declared a um, international day of observation. No person has ever achieved this. Um, we do believe that it's past time for it to be recognized. But we had this posters that said Malcolm X Day is, is May 19th. And we went into a Barnes & Noble and we were immediately, you know, confronted about the poster and i'm saying this poster doesn't say anything radical it says malcolm x day is may 19th what are you talking about um so but i would you know i will also say that uh barnes and noble uh after having a discussion they did try to rectify the um the situation and they became a sponsor for uh claim malcolm x day oh that's good they did but um but it but again the people that were there that was their first response right. to, oh my gosh, you know, what what's going on here? Why would you bring that in here? Uh, we're trying to catch a, you know, get a book before we right. <laughs> leave it the shows, area. It shows the power that people that are influential, if they don't care about what you care about, or if they're afraid of what you want to talk about, they can change. Think about how much untruth has been brought in the last few decades over if somebody presents a threat to a system, if somebody presents a threat to an organization or something, whoever's in charge can change the whole narrative of that person so that you're not getting the truth of who that person was. And it's, it's crazy to me how that kind of stuff has happened. And then, you know, his words were so relevant at one time, but then they're not really even talked about today when they're probably even more relevant. More relevant. And they're more than ever, they're on time. Especially with the governmental aspect <laughs> and that kind of thing. And his stuff about the white liberal is fascinating to me. Amazing. And, and right on point. Exactly. And like you said, just still very timely. You know, timely, uh, still appropriate, very accurate, right. but also, you know, how can it how can his work be so hidden when it was so profound and it is so worth it like i said even just even if you think okay he might have had some ideas that were you know far fetched or what have you with um having uh african americans give over their names he said that that's why he was referred as malcolm x his birth name was malcolm little mm-hmm. because he said that uh his father uh uh they were descendants of slaves and so their names were given mm-hmm. and so if they were given that that means I can't reject them. So I'm going to reject and I'm not going to be little. I'm just going to be Malcolm X. So even if you were opposed to that, but reading through, and I always tell people, just start with the autobiography. If you're not fascinated, if you're not um, inspired in some sense after, you know, finishing this book, you know, um, I I will pay for your book. (laughs) Or John will pay for it, guys. (laughs) I'll pay for the book. Hey, well, um, I want to talk about something else that might be kind of challenging is this idea. One of the things I noticed at the Malcolm X birthday celebration, and I I like this, but then I also, again, am am challenged with it. It's just the sentiments and the feeling of 
of of reflecting on the past, memorializing the past, not not forgetting history, um, being honest and truthful about history. I think that's real important. But then there's a balance between that and and looking forward, being hopeful, having vision and solutions. And I, I get a little frustrated sometimes when I feel like some people are just stuck in the past. I feel like things aren't like they used to be at all. They're far, far different than they were for um, your parents or your grandparents or my parents. Or, you know, Things have changed. Things have changed a lot. And I get a little frustrated sometimes when it feels like we, we, we skip, we miss all of the opportunity and, and, and changes and, and progress that has been made. And we're sometimes stuck in this sad, terrible truth of our history. I think we're missing atonement there. You know, no one has ever, even, let's take even our, it's hard to even say president, but Joe Biden. We're just going to go first name here, guys. (laughs) Even Joe Biden, to give a gold coin to the, the last living members from Tulsa, Oklahoma, what does what what are you saying to the people that literally saw their their homes their community destroyed and bombed by the US there's no atonement there and i think that what happens is we get we get we get caught up in thinking that these false senses of symbolism are atonement and yeah. it's not it's I not. totally agree. Or government programs atonement. <laughs> yeah, that's those, not. Those things are all, in yeah, my how many opinion, times have we heard that? They, they, they all are, are more forms of shackles. Se- section 8 is, is reparations. I've never had Section 8. So how could that be reparations for me? It's, I mean, it's, it's, I've never, it's I've the never new lived plantation. In a I've never it, would had, you degree, I mean, like some people describe it as the new plantation. Well, the thing of it is, is that if, if that's the case, even in that regard. I think we need it, but I don't, I just don't. Everyone would live there. I don't there. like the leadership. I Not hate, everyone I hate, would leave there. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, if that was the case, if that was a true form of reparations, then everybody would have access to it. But we know that everybody does not. Yeah. If it's you like prison- make a certain amount, you don't have access to it. Right. There's all these, that's another, the other example might be um, our correction system. Mm. No, That's there's a not a lot of example. not a lot of rehabilitation. No, it's the new Jim Crow. It's it's thirteenth. Yes, yeah, thirteenth amendment. Yeah. It's so 13th. anyway, it stinks that the government continues to demonstrate itself. As just being very and that's why we can't grow. Yeah. That's that's what stops that growth. When there's that blockage, there's no atonement, and there's just a reformatting of the same type of system. But the atonement needs to come from your perspective, from others, from 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 someone other. It needs to, it, the atonement means compensation. It means money. It means opportunity. It means. Um, that's that's the best way to 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 show love. It, the atonement definitely, and it does, and it's not just the money. It's not just the opportunity, but it's also the acknowledgement. There's so there's so th- these conversations regarding race relations get so testy because there's still a lack of acknowledgement. Don't you know? Um, there are tours that they do on plantations, former plantations. And that's the number one asked question. Was life really that bad for the slaves? Like, how could you even, could you imagine? Who would want to just stay there working on some property? Like, you know, and trust me, I'm a mother of a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old. I got to tell you. Okay. <laughs> you, yeah, who, they, they probably wanted to run away a couple of times. So when you think about this happened for hundreds of years, how do you think that this was happening? You know, that's the reason why I don't even, I won't ride a horse. You know what a horse has, what a horse has, what has to happen to a horse mentally in order to be ridden? Their spirit has got to be broken to be ridden. I think they're beautiful, majestic creatures. I don't have anything. One person, you know, said that I was a horse hater. I'm not a horse hater. I love them. But I don't want to ride them. You know, I'm not scared of them. I don't want to ride them because I know what it takes to have to get a horse into submission to be ridden. And I don't want to be a part of that. And I think that 
the acknowledgement is the beginning step of the atonement. And you, so there's a lot of people, as, as far as you know, have have refused to acknowledge. Yeah, that it was that it what it is what it was. This was, you know, this was human trafficking. I agree. It, it is. <laughs> that is. Do you think and it it's okay allowed. to acknowledge other uh, people groups that have been enslaved over the course of history, also? Because there's because there's a lot of people that have been there are, but none have experienced not, not African Americans. Well, I agree. Yeah, yeah, not not to this country. I mean, not remember there was a time. That literally the post office, our post office, the same post office where I love because I I put a piece of mail in the mailbox every day. But our post office sold in their um in in their uh facilities uh lynching announcements. It's terrible. And postcards. Listen, we're gonna look back on abortion the same way. Right. We're gonna be like, we did what? We did what? what? And wh- how did we advocate for that? Who approved that? that? Who how allowed did we fund this? this? Who, how we, did we? Right. I we're agree. doing the same do thing agree. with the unborn that unfortunately happened to black people. But I mean, we just even, treated them. But even more so, there's no way you can go into a, a a public facility, a government facility, and get pictures of killed fetuses. What I'm saying is, you know did the mean? same thing. We 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 mainlined. We mainline something horrific. If, of course, of course, I definitely, definitely agree there, and that's why I said, you know, this, this, this cannot continue to just be uh, turned a blind eye to. Um, we have to, as a country, as a people, as a community, as a diaspora, as our culture, you know, for future generations, we have to, we have to settle this now, you know. Well, one way to do it is to have just relationships and conversations about it and 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 maybe uh talk to some of these local leaders that have you know a real real hand on on real money lots of money they have they have a lot of money that they could be using for things like rental assistance and and they do but it could be better so at the end of this month there's some there's something running out. There's there's something urgent that's happening. The eviction moratorium will the, be ended. So there's been a moratorium. Right. That keeps and, people from having to pay eviction, but it does not absolve them of their past right. uh, rents. So they just get to stay. They just get to stay, but they still have to right. They still have to pay it once it's up. And who gave out the moratorium? The moratorium was first um, started on local levels, and then it was a national moratorium okay. that was put forward by, of course, the um, the Biden administration. Um, the first the first eviction moratorium was started by the Trump administration, still in office. So it's been extended twice by the Biden administration the, because of the pandemic. Exactly. And, and so at the end of this ending. month, mm-hmm, they said that they're only going to they extended it for the final time, which will be through the end of. Um, August and or to the end of July, I'm sorry. And so that would be to August. But now it can go back to the state level where states have their own. They have their own councils as they should, as they should. And they can, if they should so choose to extend the moratorium, which is what we have been advocating to have happen here in Georgia. I see. Especially with a commission board led by all women. Yeah. <laughs> My yeah. gosh. And including two African American women. Commission board that's spending millions of dollars on COVID vaccine, blah, blah, blah stuff. It's just all that money. All that money could be used for really impacting people's lives in meaningful ways. And they're they're just spending on all kinds of stupid stuff. Hey. <laughs> well, before we uh, wrap up, I'm hoping that you'll come back again, maybe with your I sister, maybe, maybe with some other people. But I want to hear about your dreams. I know you've got a few projects that you're working on, one specifically that you're very excited about. And uh, I know a little bit about it, but I want, hope you'll tell the listeners and maybe share Brad um, about that dream. Absolutely. Um, definitely a, a vision um, has always been or often been to figure out how can we continue to have these quality conversations um, with being able to have creative spaces to do so. Um, But again, as a single mother, housing and stability has often been uh, what my day-to-day comprises of. You know, I'm an independent consultant. I am a cook. 
Um, I'm a writer. I'm a content creator. Uh, so figuring out how to organize all of these funds and keeping roofs over the heads, over our heads rather, becomes a vital part of the conversation. A couple of months ago, I started looking into um, plantation purchases. You know, how can we start taking back this narrative in regards to uh, race relations and what has happened in our country as a result thereof? And I came upon this beautiful property in uh, Georgia, near Athens, and I am now organizing funds to purchase this property. It's a huge task, but our God is good. Um, Things are moving forward. So I am definitely um, planning and shooting for closing, you know, sooner than later, hopefully next month. But that is what we're pushing for. And so you're raising some money. How much does the house cost? The house in total costs 799000 Wow. How many acres is it? It is on 12.5 with an additional 10, which is where believed to be which is what is believed to be where the hundred or so um, former slaves are buried. Wow. And your dream would be to um, own that property and operate it as a um, bed and breakfast? um, Airbnb, um, homeless prevention, eviction support relief, and of course, um, the Colored Only Cafe where we'll reserve courtside. Yes. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about the Colored Only Cafe. You know that's a racist name, right? No, it's not. Because the Colored Only Cafe is about um, who we serve, not what. It's about what we serve, not who we serve. Oh, the food is colored. The food is colored. Oh, well, it has a it has a double meaning. It seems like. Well, um, it might. Maybe, maybe, maybe they just seem like that to me because you're black and I'm. And I want everybody to be invited. You want everybody to be invited. I do, including people that are white colored. They're pink. <laughs> pink and peach and red. Yes, absolutely. I want to come, though. I want to check out this restaurant because that's where that juice came from. And you've sent me pictures of some of the uh, cuisine that you prepare. Absolutely. And um, Vitamin, food, um, rich plant-based cuisine. Yeah. So our foods that are highest in minerals and vitamins are our colorful foods. Kale, spinach, carrots, eggplant, Well, that's, that makes a lot more beans. sense that you call it colored now. Colored only. Colored yes. only. The um, my wife calls that v- food high vibrational. Oh my gosh! Food. I, and it absolutely is yeah. high five for Kristen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and you operate on the weekends. I do. I operate primarily from um twenty eight fifty seven. Uh, Main Street in East Point, the historic East Point, Atlanta, just a couple of minutes from the Tyler Perry studio. Um, And I operate Sundays from 12 to 7, and the second Sundays of every month are our brunch all-day specials. I know you work hard. I bet that's hard work. It is, but usually Monday is my day off where I'm relaxing. Good. Good. (laughs) But I love to do, and I always say I serve no man. I serve kings and queens and the God in you. Amen. So, Amen. That's, that's mm. And that's that's all colored. <laughs> uh, but I love serving. Yeah. I love serving. Well, it would be nice to have a restaurant like that on property. People absolutely. You know, be- and then the porch. And think about the conversations. I mean, when we talk about, oh, that's a racist name. Think about the Cracker Barrel, right? And hey, just think about the. the I guess you're right. That love it. People mm. that love going to Cracker Barrel are Hooters, even. You know, um, let's think about that. So. Does that mean that a, a, a girl with not big hoops? Hey, listen, I'm just saying, yeah. colored, color, if I were to name a restaurant Colored Only Cafe, I think it would be a problem. Well, I, you know, I don't think it would be a problem. For or you Whites know. Only Cafe. How about that? No. Well, if you're going to start white potatoes, <laughs> white potatoes and white sugar, you're going to have some card problems. I know. I'm just teasing. <laughs> no, but it's all, it's all good and fun. I'm a... I'm a publicist, so I'm a words play type of girl. Yeah. But um, I do want to also play on the fact that there was a time where colored got the worst. And I want you to know, I want everyone to know that all colors get the best of what we have. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Absolutely. That's a great message. The fundraising, how's it going so far? I know that can be challenging. It can be difficult. One of the hopes that I have with this podcast is somebody would listen or a few people would listen and they'd say, you know what? I think I'd like to learn more about that and get involved. How can people maybe learn more about it and get involved? And how's it going so far? 
Absolutely. Well, if they want to uh, learn more about it and get more involved, you can go to the website. It's coloredonlycafe.com. And we are having our hosting. The, the prayer is that we will be able to close next month and have a Rewrite the Stars celebration. Like I said, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that we will have as a people, as a culture, as a nation to, um, to organize something like this. This has never happened before where, you know, someone went to the community to say, hey, help me purchase this plantation so we can turn it into something where we can all come to appreciate, we can memorialize these men. None of the men that existed or worked that property have any type of headstones or grave markers. So it's a preservation mission as well. Um, it's a, from a historical standpoint, it is, uh, it's absolutely valuable. Um, but the fundraising has, it has started very slow, but we do have, we just got our first major commitment from the Georgia Farmers Association. Um, so they are coming on board. So we'll be finalizing some things with them, but we're still needing to organize with others. So coloredonlycafe.com is the place to go to find more information. And you can connect with me directly there, which I would love to, love to, you know, host some people out, show them the grounds and um, show them what it all has in store. The Smithsonian is a wonderful, it's a beautiful a venue that was renovated to the tune of 1.5 million in 2008, and it um, has so never this, the property's been renovated already. Yes, yes. They so they're selling it for less than they spent the renovation. Yes, that's why I said it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Wow, it is. Yeah. Well, and people can also uh, share this podcast. One one easy way to um, maybe get involved is just to share what Courtney's working on with others and just. I don't know. Share the precipice. Absolutely. And, and don't forget to rate. For don't there. forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the precipice. But more importantly, share it so other people can hear what Courtney's working on. And and I'm I'm hopeful for your dream. I'm most excited, to be honest with you, about what you're doing with your sister here in Cobb County. I'm more I'm getting more excited about your dream for the plantation as I learn more about it. However, there's a lot of need, there's a lot of opportunity, and what you and your sister are doing with these women that are being evicted in our county is so important. And I'm, I really, really applaud you for kind of rallying people to just to have a greater awareness that this is in our backyard. People are staying in Motel 6s because, because our government, our county, is they're just looking the other way. It feels honestly like they're this is this is the way it works. You know, we we, it's we true. our communities they develop and people get displaced. A lot of my views over the last few years in some of these departments have they've changed. And it's not so much that I've changed, it's just the posture of my heart I think is kind of getting reoriented to kind of see things a little differently. And I'm excited that you came on the program today. I'm excited too, and I want to thank you again for having me on. And um, the conversation was is needed. We need to be having more of these across communities. Um, I always say, you know, your uh, <laughs> if if there's no color at the table, it's a problem. <laughs> That's true. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. True. And this is what the table looks like, guys. So thank you for inviting me to the brown table. It's brown, guys. It is brown. <laughs> um, but thank you for inviting me to the table to have these conversations. And think about the conversations that happen when you are over food, right? And so this was really the mission of the Colored Only Cafe, to have these type of conversations, to um, have a safe space for them. And I think you both for allowing this safe space for these type of conversations to have today, because I'm always going to be, I always keep it hot, as uh, Pastor Mike said, I always keep it humble, honest, open, and transparent. And there was never a time during this podcast where I felt like I was not comfortable enough to do that. So I thank you. Oh, well, thank you. Brad, you got anything? Yeah, I just, uh, I just appreciate you and I appreciate your heart. And uh, as I, as I, um, as I process some things I've been praying, kind of as you guys have been talking, um, God is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the beginning and the end. And I just think, with your last name being Omega, that you're going to be used, and, and part of your call is to help end 
things that necessarily need to end. And I think there's a special anointing on your life for that type of thing. And I feel like that um, when your heart is aligned with God's, that there's nothing that can't happen. And so, so I just encourage you to continue to pray into uh, reconciliation, to freedom from bondage, to uh, things that have held people apart to be destroyed, and that um, we look for heavenly solutions and things, um, because I feel like we're in a time where um, you don't know what you have until it's gone, and I feel like there's a lot of crazy things that are happening right now that are bringing people closer to the precipice, if they're not already on it. and. Um, I feel like Jesus is the only way out of this, and so I feel like there is there's a uh, there's a thing that's come out recently where you know you can take a hundred black ants and put them in a jar, and a hundred red ants in that jar, and if they're fine until you shake them up, something's shaking us up, and we need to be united to uh, go after the force that's shaking us up because a lot of this is wanting to be healed. Jesus's heart is for healing and reconciliation, and so. Yeah, we need to we need to get rid of the things that are impeding that, and I feel like you're one of those ambassadors. So, Ambassador Omega, I will take it. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Ambassador <laughs> Omega. And uh, with that, I think we'll conclude. Will you come back maybe um, in a month or two and check in, see how things are going? I would love to, and I would also love to because we're going to get this plantation. We're going to turn into a village, and I would love to have you bring. You know this fabulous equipment on out there to us and show us how it's done out there. Hey, this we can bring, we can come on site. I'd love to do that too. That'd be more fun maybe than coming here again. Yeah, that would be awesome. Though, no, this place is fun too. We're oh. gonna come back for swimming. <laughs> okay, you, you need to. You need <laughs> to. Will. I hope you do. All right. Well, all the listeners, thank you for listening. And as I said earlier, please be sure to uh, like, subscribe, review uh, this podcast, share it with your friends. And I hope you'll uh, join us next week for another episode. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I didn't want everybody to leave without reminding everybody to go to coloredonlycafe.com. Go learn more about Courtney, all that she's got going on with her life and her business and her story. Courtney, thank you so much for being on the show. And I look forward to uh, just our relationship and our friendship growing. As usual, I want to thank Brad Willoughby, my co-host, Levi on music, Hassan, the computer man, Jackson Equipment, Savannah Art, and Milos on audios. Everybody else, if you want to email me at john at the show.com, the first 17 people will receive autobiography of Malcolm X. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye.